Well, amen, amen. Uh, it's good to be with you guys today. I hope you're uh, watching from a safe, warm place. I feel like it's been a while since I actually have seen you guys. Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen anybody. If you can see by the beard, I've been in hiding and hibernation the last month or so. And so it was nice to get out and traverse uh, the snowpocalypse this morning and bring the word of God. Um, I personally really like Hebrews. I think it's a fascinating book. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Today we are in chapter 5, uh, the end of chapter 5, to be honest. And we're looking at the beginning of chapter 6. And so if you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to take some time to get your Bible, have it nearby. And I just want to share with you a little bit of what God uh, put on my mind as I read through this passage these past couple weeks. And I want to start with a story. You know, I'm, I'm at that age now where a lot of my friends are having babies. Um, it's crazy. If I like text a friend just to catch up, there's like an 80% chance that it will end with him telling me that his wife is pregnant. Like it happens so often. And they're always like, what's new with you? And I'm like, definitely not that, you know, I haven't even like talked to a girl in three months, let alone. Anyway. So to me, it's just been a crazy time of my life, uh, where like all my friends are having kids. Like I'm, I'm just at, at that stage. And so I was blessed, actually, three weeks ago, I was able to visit a friend, you know, him and his wife had a, had a healthy baby boy, and I was talking to them, asking them questions about, you know, being parents and whatnot, and they were sharing um, all kinds of things, honestly, things I wasn't asking. But, you know, it's okay, they were excited, right, and they were encouraged. And so uh, I, I, as they were sharing, and they were really joyful, I found something fascinating. And it was that my friend knew the exact size and weight of his son when he was born. And chances are, you've heard, like, this is not a new phenomenon to you. Like, you probably, you probably have heard this before. New parents always know exactly, like, the, the length, the width, the depth of their child, right? Like, 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 they know it in pounds, they can convert it to kilograms, like, to the very last centimeter, they know exactly how big their child is when they're born. And my friend, it was fascinating. Not only did he know how big his child was when he was born, he knew at that exact moment, how much his child had grown since he was born. And he shared that with me once again, without any prompting. He was telling me all these numbers, and it was fascinating for me. Because I grew up with this friend, and I know he's bad at math, okay? I know, I know he's bad at numbers. I used to help him with his math homework. But here he is, now that he's a dad, like, able to, like, accurately measure, like, the circumference of his son. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I was like, how'd you learn this skill? Where does it come from? And this reminded me of this simple truth that parents are, are really concerned, right, with if their child is growing. My friend even knew the exact percentile that his son fell in based on average uh, boys his age. And parents, they, they really are concerned. They're really worried with the question of, is my child maturing at the rate that they ought to be? And so I thought of that because as I read this passage, I kind of got similar vibes. This, the author has parental concern. Once again, we don't know who the author is. We don't know if it's a boy. We don't know if it's a girl. We do get a sense that this author really cares for their Jewish audience that they're writing this letter to, though. 
right? Up until this point, the letter's been somewhat encouraging, right? It's been somewhat didactic in teaching, but even then it has a positive spin, a positive uh, flavor to it, I would say. But then we get to this passage, it's like a complete 180. And this harsh rebuke and very, very strong critique all of a sudden, you know? And you're like, where was this, the last five chapters? It's almost funny to read. It's like the beginning of this chapter, they're talking about, you know, Jesus as a high priest. And in chapter 7, they'll go back to that. But it's just like rant in the middle, right? It's this like tangent they go on that they can't quite hold on any longer. And that's what our passage is uh, today. I said, it's, it's, to me, it's like a parental rebuke. And I use that word intentionally because I think about when I was a kid and at times my parents uh, would rebuke me. And I'm not scared to admit, you know, I was spanked a lot as a child and I'm not bitter about it. I think the way I was wired, it was honestly, it was good for me. Uh, but I will say there were times where it was a little confusing. And, and for example, if, if I was running around the house kind of recklessly and I was kind of a clumsy child, and if I, if I, like, stubbed my toe or bumped my shin or fell and got hurt, my mom would get mad. Like, be careful. Right? Don't be reckless. And if I was in her vicinity, she might give me a little extra, you know, exhortation as she did it on the backside, right? And I'd be on the ground and I'd be like, okay, so let me get this straight. You don't want me to hurt myself. And so you spank me? So you hurt me so I don't hurt how sway does that make any sense? Like, make, make it make sense, you know? As, as I got older, I began to understand, right, that as a parent, at their best, at their best, what, what your parent does is they will strongly rebuke you, strongly critique you, maybe cause some temporary pain so that you would avoid a greater pain, right, in the future, right? If you're reckless throughout life, you might get in an even worse situation than stubbing your toe, right? Or put another way, you know, if you're reckless, you might miss out on something. If you get hurt, you might miss out on what life has to offer. And we see that language a little bit, and it's what I call parental rebuke in verse uh, 11 of chapter 5. Uh, the author says, I have so much to say. It's hard to explain, though, because you're dull of hearing. I, I have so much to say about Jesus. I have so much to say about the nature of God. I have so much more that I want you to understand about your Savior, but I cannot get it to you because your ears are closed. Your hearts are closed. You're like babies. You're still on milk. You're not, you're not ready for the solid food that is the magnificence of the God that you serve. You are not ready. You are missing out. And the rebuke isn't self-righteousness or anger for anger's sake. It's, I want you to grow so you can experience all that God has for you. That's why I want you to mature. That's why I call it uh, parental. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, the question that at least for me was burning in my heart is, in what ways am I still an infant in my faith? Am I still growing? Am I maturing as a disciple of Christ? Are, are, are we as a church developing as we ought to be? And the author says, you know, you should be teachers by now, but you still need someone to explain. You, you're still students. 
and we hear that, and because we're in the West, we automatically we think academic. We think it's about increasing your mental facilities, right? In order to be a teacher, you need, you need more knowledge, you need more training. But I would argue, right, that teaching is often with your life. I think it was Martin Luther, or maybe it, it could have been one of the dead old white guys who said that I learned most of my theology not from an academic institution. It's from watching a Christian maid clean her house. And I would say that we, as, if I could keep it real, we as Christians, some of us here, have been the faith long enough, or we are old enough in our faith, that we should be teachers of the faith with our lives. We should be able to say, like Paul says, follow me as I follow God. People should be able to look at our lives and say, I, I understand more what it means to be a disciple by watching your action, watching the way you talk, watching the way you serve, watching how you yearn for the Father. We should be teachers. But how many of us will confidently say, I feel like I'm in that place where I would say I'm a, I'm a spiritual mentor to people, whether they're believers or they're not believers yet, that they could look in my life and learn be a disciple. The truth is, I think a lot of us, we don't feel that way. We don't feel confident. And I wonder if we have plateaued in our growth with Christ. And I have to say, you know, if this is us and we are content, then I almost want to plead with you. Maybe as a spiritual parent, maybe more as a spiritual brother. Let's yearn to grow in our faith. Like, let's not be content. Other uh, passages, the way they translated, they said, I want to tell you more, but you, you don't even want to understand anymore. You have no desire to learn anymore. I'm saying, well, let's, let's have that fire. Let's have that desire to see God. Why should we be content? with our Christian lives the way that Amer the American church has painted it, should we not want to grow and mature as we ought to be? And I have to make it uh, you know, clear again that you might, you might be wondering, well, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to mature? What does it look like to grow? And I think verse 13 and 14, I mean, they help us a little bit. They're kind of confusing verses. I'll do my best to clarify. In verse 13, the author is saying, you know, if you're a child, you like milk, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, he says. Some translations, they say you don't understand the teachings about righteousness. And in verse 14, it helps clarify a little bit. It says, you know, the people who are mature are ones who can distinguish between good and evil. There's a key phrase. They have powers of discernment. Powers of discernment. Once again, I think we're so tempted to think maturity is about uh, watching more sermons, right? Or, or reading more commentaries. It's all, all about uh, the mental facilities, mental capacity. But this phrase, powers of discernment, is a really weird one in the Greek. It's very strange. It's found nowhere else in the Bible. And what it connotes, what it means to a degree, is it's not your mental facility, it's your spiritual facility. The word powers, powers often 
how the, the Spirit is translated the most in the New Testament. The author is saying that what it means for you to mature is that you grow in your ability to spiritually discern what is right and wrong. You grow in your ability to connect to the Holy Spirit of God who can speak to you and tell you how to live your life. That's what maturity looks like. It's not about more study, more, uh, more knowledge. It's about more God, more, more presence of God. That's, that's what spiritual maturity is. Uh, you know, I, I wrote here that so often uh, people come to me and, and, and they tell me, um, you know, I'm a young pastor. And so they ask, are you going to go back to seminary? I love asking, are you going to go back to seminary? And it, I, I took some theology in my undergrad, but they really like the idea of me going back and getting more academic training. Or they'll ask me, they'll say, you know, do you have uh, spiritual mentors? It's important to have older pastors, right, who speak into your life. It's important that you're talking with them, that they're, once again, giving you uh, practical advice on how to run a church. You know what people rarely ask me, at least explicitly? They really say, not do you talk to professors or do you talk to pastors, do you talk to the Holy Spirit? People rarely ask me that. But is your spiritual discernment growing? Is your ability to hear from God improving? That's what I want to be held accountable for. That's what it looks like for me to grow as a disciple of Christ. I, sure, all that other stuff is good, but they're means. Seminary is a means. Mentors are a means to get to the source. The Spirit of God should be our number one professor. The Spirit of God should be our number one mentor. That's, to me, what it means for us to grow. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. I'll show you another example. You know, I wrestled a lot with this last week. Uh, I was in a Bible study with some friends. We've been going through the book of Acts. And one of the girls who I really respect, she was sharing and she said, you know, uh, I wish Christians were more at the forefront of change, is what she was saying. You know, racial change, climate change. I wish we would be at the forefront of it, she was saying. Like, what, what a great witness that would be if we were. And I was, you know, trying to be honest, I was trying to confess to them, and I kind of preached this sermon, I felt bad, they're hearing it twice. But I was like, you know, for me, I, I love that. I think it's 100% true that we should be, like uh, Martin Luther King says, at the taillight, right, rather than always being, or at the headlight, rather than always being the taillight. And, and for me, you know, I love the fact that our, our, our the ideas of racial inequality was at the forefront of our minds last year. I love that, all the conversations. I love this week that economic equality was kind of a conversation. How the little guy often gets um, honestly screwed by the bigger people and power and privilege. Protect. I, I love these conversations. I'm growing to love the earth a little bit more. You know, I'm a carnivore. I'm learning what it's like to be able to recycle and compost and do all this stuff. I'm learning that, right? We should return this earth to shalom. I love these conversations. But I was telling them, I was like, the world is so divided on these things. And if I was honest and left to my own mental facilities and capacity, I would have no idea 
where to start. Do you feel that way? I'm often like, how the heck do we as believers start change? I, 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 don't, I don't know. And so I was sharing with us that, you know, what I'm seeing in Acts that we're reading, and what strikes me, and it's sad that it strikes me, but it does, is how often the author writes in Acts, the Holy Spirit said. Like literally the Holy Spirit said, and there will be, in quotations, words the Spirit said. The Holy Spirit guided. The Holy Spirit led. The Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit did that. Peter isn't the main character of Acts. Paul isn't the main character of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the main character of Acts. And I said, that's what I want. Like, like how do I know how to engage Wicker Park? How do I know how to engage Chicago or this nation? I want it to because the Holy Spirit said. And I'm tuning my heart to get to the same frequency where I'm beginning to hear some clarity of what God wants my life to look like in this world. That calling wouldn't be a thing I use flippantly to justify decisions, but calling would truly be a word from the Lord. That's what maturity looks like. That's what growing as disciples look like. That, that, that's our desire if we want to grow as we ought to. And the passage says, and it's very, it's very fascinating. Uh, once again, we're in verse one. I'm sorry, verse 14. People who have this, this spiritual discernment, because um, you're trained through constant practice. Another translation it says that, you know, um, you have to exercise. That's what it says. You have to exercise. And I love that a picture because I, I like to try to exercise, you know. And, and the thing I, many of us know, uh, especially with weight training, is when you exercise, your gains aren't linear, you know. At least not at first. It's fascinating. When you first start working out, you get, like, exponential growth. Like, like it's like when you first start, within the first two months, your numbers go up, like, 200%. It's crazy. It's like GameStop, you know what I'm saying? It's like to the moon, diamond hands, just hold. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's like, though. And after two, three months, what happens? You plateau. And at that point, whenever you work out, you kind of get discouraged. You don't want to do it as much because it's like incremental growth. It's a slow grind in order to still grow. I think there's a parallel to our faith a little bit. Like many of you guys, you remember when you first became a Christian. Right? Like, you know, and you remember when God pulled you out of the pit that you were in, perhaps. And you know how on fire you were, right, when it happened. Right? You, you wanted to share the gospel with everybody. You wanted to see God. You really believed God can speak to me. You were going anywhere and everywhere to be in the presence of God. You were on fire. You were shameless, right? You had no tact. You were truly like a, like a child. Like when a child is hungry, they're not like, excuse me, mother, may I have? No, they're like, they cry, and they poop, and they, they do whatever it takes. Because I'm hungry, feed me. And many, many of us, like, that's what we were like when we first came to our faith. In a similar way, what happened? We kind of plateau. And suddenly, you know, reading the Word isn't as exciting as it was. You know, praying, we got to pray again. Go to church again, worship this song again. I don't even like this song. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what kind of happens to us. And it's like a, it's like a slow grind. And 
eventually we just stop exercising altogether. But the Bible says you got to practice. We're talking about practice. Yeah, you you got to practice. You got to work out these spiritual muscles. You might wake up one day, but oftentimes you don't wake up one day and God suddenly you can hear God's voice. Just like with anything, it takes time to develop. It takes time to, to learn the sensitivity, the frequency, the pace that God speaks at. And one day he might speak over here, next day he might speak over there, you know. And you have to practice, you have to exercise to develop those muscles, to grow. And I'll say this, you know, um, I don't know what that looks like for you. That, that's hopefully the question you're asking yourself is, what spiritual practices do I have to do so I can develop and mature in my faith? Like, like, what is God calling me to work on? And I don't know. I think part of the exercise, honestly, is you go to God. And you're open-handed. And you're honest. You say, God, I'm an infant. Or, or show me the ways I'm an infant. Show me the areas in which I'm not growing anymore. That I'm, that I, I'm content. Reveal to me. Right? Expose me. And then teach me what it looks like to exercise, to practice the spiritual sensitivity to your, to your spirit. So I don't know what God will lead you to, but I have three tips. Once again, this is from experience as a very poor personal trainer, but I'll try to give you three tips about exercising. And the first one that, that I have here is that you want to, when you exercise, you want to use a different workouts. You want to use different practices for the same muscle. Because there's studies that show if you do the same uh, exercise every time for the same muscle group, your body's smart, your body adapts. And eventually the growth begins to dissipate because you, you know, you're firing in the kind of same synapses. It, it doesn't work as it used to. And I say in the same way with our spiritual practices, we should recognize again, we're in the West. We love certain practices. We don't like other ones. But most of Christian history was in the East. There's a lot we can learn from our Eastern brothers and sisters and the way they talk about God, the way they engage God, the things that they prioritize. And so I would actually encourage you, if you're serious about this, to look up what are other spiritual disciplines that are kind of outside of my tradition, outside of my daily normal workouts. What, what can I do to continue to develop this muscle and hit it from a different way, a different angle, and see that, that will help promote growth and sensitivity to the spirit. Second tip I would say is uh, do not exercise alone. Exercise with other people. I could say, honestly, last year, I think I did a pretty decent job of going to the gym, despite there was a pandemic. I think I did a pretty decent job of going to the gym. Um, but I could probably count on one hand how many times I went to the gym by myself. I might have gone 70, 80, 90 times. I'm pretty sure I went less than four or five times by myself. Not because I have so many people who want to go. I have like one person who will go with me, you know. But it's because the days I was supposed to go by myself, I was like, ah, you know, it's a, it'll be a cheat day, right? And cheat day becomes a cheat week, which becomes a cheat month, which becomes a lifetime of obesity. But anyways, to me, right, I learned a valuable lesson. I need to be spurred on. 
God is good, isn't he? He's just different for our spiritual exercise. He gave us the church. Why? We need to be spurred on. It's part of the reason I have a job. It's a continual exhortation. It's not new stuff to you. But it's bring it again to your mind and bring it again to your mind and bring it again to your mind. And I'm not dumb. A lot of you might be fired up and feeling it now. By tomorrow, a lot of you are going to forget. And you won't be as fired up. And the truth is that we need each other to keep spreading us on. And so exercise, whatever spiritual disciplines you believe will help you grow, invite other people into that. So that when you're tired, they'll carry you. And when they're tired, you carry them and work out together. The last tip I'll say is this. Exercise with rest. Make rest a part of your practice. The last story I'll share on this kind of idea is, you know, there's a girl in college who came to me. She's like, David, I want help doing a pull-up. I can't do a pull-up. I said, okay, you know, and I said, you know, based on, like, I think where you are currently in your physical uh, journey, I think if you did this program for about three, three and a half months, you'll be able to do a pull-up. I gave her the program, and to her credit, she was religious about it. She did it. She tried it three and a half months. She could, like, barely get off the ground. So, okay, you know, let's do it for two more weeks, and then we'll try again. We did it for two more weeks. She tried, barely get off the ground. I was like, okay, let's do it for three more weeks this time. And then we'll try it again. We did it for three more weeks, barely off the ground. And so she started to get discouraged. I was getting a little discouraged. I was like, you know what? Let's take two weeks off. Two weeks off, and then we'll try again. And if you can't really do one, we'll change the program. We took two weeks off. She comes back and she tries. She does five. And we're both like, what just happened? You know, what just happened? And it was then I began to learn the importance of rest. Even as you're working out, even as you're training, they say it's very important that you recover properly. Even take weeks off sometimes, they say. Because that's how you will get stronger. And in this uh, context, with spiritual rest, which I feel like has been a theme at our church for the last four months, right? Even last week, James talked about rest, rest, rest. And there's a reason why. Because part of our growth as Christians is we learn to rest Well, even as we're exercising and doing these disciplines, rest is a key part of it. Sitting in the presence of God, being still. Because that's when you might really catch on the frequency of what he's saying. And so learn to exercise with rest. And at that point, I'm going to close and say this. You know, in chapter 6, verse 1, the author writes, we should leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And almost simply, the author is saying we should forget about the doctrines of Christ. But I would argue it's more that we should simply build upon Christ's doctrine. You see, the reason that we're even able to rest, or the reason that we exercise with an assurance, is because Christ gave us a promise. Before he died on the cross, before he shed his blood so we would be justified forever in the eyes of God, he gave a promise, not just to his disciples, but to everyone who was willing to call themselves a disciple from here on out. And he said, I will not leave you 
as orphans. He said, I'm going to come back to you. But before I come back to you, I will give you a helper. I will give you a counselor. I will give you an advocate. It's the Holy Spirit. And he will remind you of all these things I've said to you. He will help you discern what your life is called to be. And in chapter 11 of Luke, he says, you know, if, if you believe that evil parents can give, give good gifts to their children, how much more God? How much more would God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We have that assurance. And that's why we can rest. God said, I will breathe my spirit into you. And we can speak to him. We can hear from him. And so we exercise. And we practice. And we fan the flame, the yearning for the presence of God anew in our hearts. And that's my prayer for you all. That you would seek to grow in the ways that God has called you to grow. I'll call the band up, and if you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a minute. I don't want to dictate your prayer. I have no idea where you are in the journey. Maybe you first want to confess to the Lord that you have become content with spiritual immaturity or not being a spiritual mentor to those who need it. Maybe you've been exercising and you really, really feel like you've plateaued. You need God to bring to your mind new exercises or how to rest. Maybe you forgot the promise that Jesus gave us, that we're not doing this stuff in vain, that he would answer our call. The Spirit will come and will speak to us. Whatever it is, come now to your Father and pray to him in honesty and in truth with full assurance that he's listening and he will answer you.